price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Wizard and the Bruiser. I am the Wizard, Jake Young. And I'm the Bruiser, Holden McNeely. Watch out, suckers. I'm coming for you. Last time on the Wizard and the Bruiser podcast, fucking Miyamoto. Fuck, man. Uh, he is a garden that fits in your pocket, and he liked to explore caves when his childhood. Uh, fucking the Triforce. There's only two triangles in the first game. You call it Biforce. Bigger than Ganon. It's bigger than Princess <laughs> Zelda. It's bigger than some kind of silver bow and arrow scenario. And now, the thrilling continuation <laughs> of Wizard and the Bruiser does Legend of Zelda. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, it's... it's, it's uh... <laughs> Uh, last time we left off, we were about to tackle the uh, the next generation of Nintendo's adventure series. And uh, the, the N64 had come out. Mario 64 redefined analog uh, controls and 3D gameplay. Blasted the lid off of the video gaming. I mean, we this we're talking about the transference from 2D sleepy, boring graphics to... Polygonal heaven, baby. <laughs> 3D in your face action. Am I in the game? Yeah. Am I in there? Uh, so many triangles. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, my, yes, it was, it was a huge groundbreaking time for video games. Mm-hmm. It was maybe one of the, I think, one of the most pivotal evolutions in video games, arguably, of all mm-hmm. time. And along comes Ocarina of Time, uh, which was first released in Japan and North America in 1998. It was a 256 megabit cartridge, which is the largest capacity cartridge Nintendo made at the time. And I remember it physically feeling mm. heavy, like heavy yeah. in my hand. The uh, It's actually kind of ironic that the fate of Ocarina of Time mirrors the original Legend of Zelda so uh, readily. Uh, last episode, we talked about how they were developing for uh, the Nintendo, the Famicom, and then the Famicom disk drive, yes. where Mario was on Nintendo, uh, was on the classic NES, and Legend of Zelda was for the disk drive. And in theory, Mario 64 was developed for the uh, N64, and Ocarina of Time was supposed to be for the N64DD. 64DD, baby. That means double dong. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. It doesn't mean that. I think it probably means like digital di- diapermapimation or something like that. Data disk. The point is, is that Nintendo <laughs> fucked off with Sony and then like shat the bed with the CDI. So then they had to pretend that they like, yeah. they're like, no, we don't even like CD media. <laughs> oh, by 
No, way, that was our plan all along. By the way, I know exactly what it stands for. It stands for dynamic drive. Yeah. So I did do the work. I did put the time in. Now you guys know what the answer to that question is. We're, You're we're going to make our own format with low-capacity magnetic discs, and it's going to be even better. I mean, you know, it was Nintendo Sega CD, and good on them for taking a step back <coughs> after the commercial failure that it was in Japan uh, on De- uh, when it was released on December 1999. It was some interesting groundbreaking shit, though, Jake. It had internet access. There was, like, uh, uh, the, they, were, they were hoping to be able to do, like, actual online store, online shopping stuff. It was also there so that you could actually write things. You could create movies characters, animations, and use them in the games. Um, a lot of the game, there was only like 12 games that were released on it. I think a lot of them were like Mario Art programs. Yeah. So there's a lot of like writable kind of stuff. Um, and um, yeah, so. You do, like if you are a Nintendo, if you are a, ner- a burgeoning nerd, do not even bother remembering this because the N64DD was a piece of crap. It was slow. It did not make up for the difference in um in 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 capacity and speed uh that CDs had and uh a lot of, and the fact is the things that made the N64 uh, uh memorable and it's like strong points were the fact that it still used this old cartridge based media so things could load quickly and there could be more animations uh uh link in Ocarina of Time uh used 500 distinct animation patterns and the ability to quickly recall them and zap between them was only possible with a cartridge. And I and I, I want to segue into like what made Ocarina of Time so memorable to an entire generation of gamers. Because let's establish this right here and now. Ocarina of Time is still arguably the greatest video game ever made. People, I'm saying people would argue it. I yeah. don't know if I would necessarily argue that at this point after how much we've done, but I will say I was obsessed with that fucking game. I've played it a gazillion times, and I even played it last year on my 3DS and had a goddamn blast with it. This game is incredible. It is has the Guinness Book of World Record as the highest rated game, best reviewed game of all time. If you go look at the average, it's all five stars, five stars, five stars, three stars because we only do three star <laughs> ratings. Five stars, five stars. It's crazy. It's. I'd like to compare it to like kind of uh, like the Wizard of Oz and color. Like, it was a great showcase for what this new form was capable of. And uh, the fact is, is the first time you start up The Legend of Zelda and Ocarina of Time and you make it onto Hyrule Field and you see this expansive world in front of you with the soaring music and all these things happening, it that didn't happen before. That was completely new. And all of a sudden, like... Uh, the, the capabilities of this machine in your living room and the possibilities of games in general after this point was exploding in front of your eyes. Watching the sun rise and fall over Hyrule Field was one of the most memorable gaming experiences I had from my childhood. I was completely blown away by the fact that that was a thing. I mean, day-night cycles, just not really a thing before this game for the most part. Um, now, a lot of people... Through the lens of time, the lens of truth, ah, that's a reference, ah. uh, I can see why people are more down on Ocarina of Time, say that it's overrated, but with the nostalgia glasses on, it's there was that period in 3D gaming where just being in a 3D world and being able to navigate it was a new and exciting gameplay mechanic, and mm-hmm. the legend is, an Ocarina of Time was this immersive world that kind of pushed the boundaries of what you thought was possible. Uh, now- to uh, 
another thing about Legend of Zelda uh, Ocarina of Time, I'm going to be doing this the whole episode. This is fine. Yeah. Um, is <laughs> that it is a very frantically like chopped up and kind of it's it's weirdly singular, but then kind of broken up into different things. Like mm. like the like walking around Hyrule Field is different than doing the puzzles in the dungeons and doing mm. the puzzles in the dungeons is different than fighting in the enemies in the dungeon and yes. fighting is different than like uh the horse riding mechanics and the Ooh, reason for this is because the same way that uh the old games were kind of separated between Mario ideas and Zelda ideas Ocarina of Time wasn't formed like fully envisioned from a single auteur. It was the work of like six or seven individual directors with Miyamoto on top of that giving notes, all kind of like collaborating and putting their own ideas into this one world. Like, now let's talk about this this dream team we got here. Some of the major players, we'll just introduce them because we'll be referencing them sort of throughout. You've got, of course, Shigeru Miyamoto, who was the producer overseeing several directors, but as things did progress, he, he took the gloves off and he got more hands-on, uh, and he is credited as a director and a writer. You've got uh, Yoshiaki Koizumi, mm-hmm. who is the director, a writer, and artist on it. He wrote the manual for Link to the Past um, and had a big hand to play in the story. Another huge player, which will come up later in Majora's Mask, is Eiji Aonuma. Eiji Aonuma. I, I apologize ahead of time for my... S- North Carolina ass <laughs> pronunciations of these people's names. Then you've got, and plus, should I add a son at the end of all these? Senpai, coon, whatever you want. <laughs> People love it when we do that one. meme shit. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Takumi Kawagoe san, uh, who created the cutscenes. And you've got Toru Osawa, who was a writer. Um, and he created the scenario based on a story idea from Miyamoto and Koizumi. Um, with help from Kensuke Tanabe-san, who wrote the script for Link to the Past and Link's Awakening. And actually, I want to take it back to Koizumi for a second here. Absolutely. Because Koizumi actually, before all of this, that was originally inspired by Zelda 2, Koizumi actually worked on a polygonal side-scrolling Zelda for the SNES, where they worked on some because he he was inspired by the 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 intricate quote unquote sword fighting in Zelda Two, and he wanted to kind of create something with with polygonal figures, and so he was working on that, and uh, it ended, that project ended up getting dropped, but that is the first signs mm-hmm. of what Ocarina of Time would later become. The very, very first inkling of that game was was developed sort of in that space years and years ago. We have to mention, too, it was seven years mm-hmm. between Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time. That is a huge gap yeah. um, for the series. Uh, honestly, the hype was so big. People had been wanting uh, a next-generation Zelda game. There was, like, some early test footage of, like, a cool Zelda fight uh, in early Ultra 64, like, promos. Yes, it was first shown as a tech demo at Nintendo's yeah. uh, Shoshinkai trade show in 1995, which was a trade show Nintendo used to do in Japan. Uh, it wasn't, like, a regular show. It would kind of happen whenever they had a big announcement to make, kind of like the, you know, uh, the kind of announcements they do now with, like, the treehouse and everything. And um, the last one was held in 2001, and at one point they changed it to Nintendo Space World. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of fun. It's it's great. Uh, <laughs> so the two guys I think that are going to dominate this this episode is uh, 
Koizumi and Anuma. Yes, Anuma who designed the dungeons. Right, because uh, right now as we speak, Anuma is considered the Zelda guy, and Koizumi ended up being pushed to uh, the Super Mario series. Mm. He worked on uh, the Super Mario Galaxy series, Super Mario 3D Land. Um, And uh, oddly enough, if you watch the Nintendo Switch, like, big reveal... uh, presentation he's the guy holding the controllers being like you see it's like ice cubes it's that guy (laughs) which is like weird um but it's definitely the next generation of like of nintendo guys after iwata unfortunately passed away and miyamoto is getting older like aonuma and and koizumi are like the new top dogs they were the bad boys doing coke in the middle of the (laughs) office they each carried loaded guns and if anyone asked them a question about the new zelda game they'd throw the gun at them and just say shoot me so it was a crazy time for nintendo (laughs) motorcycles were allowed on the first through tenth floors there were electric guitar contests every wednesday if you had an idea you wanted to add to a game you had to win an arm wrestling competition you have to get beaten into working on one of the games if you wanted to work on the new bubble bobble or the bomber man you'd have to get your ass beaten to shreds in order to be able to stand grown men throwing bolos at men (laughs) there was open sex it was a rule in the office that you had to have open sex every single physical quarter. Interns thrown around like they were packs of cigarettes. And craziness. It was a nightmare to be over there. Uh, so let's actually let I, I want to. Ocarina of Time is such like an important part of a lot of gamers' childhoods. Holden, like, what are some of your favorite like most memorable moments? Like the things that you specifically liked the most about Ocarina of Time? Well, um, there is, of course, with the one I just mentioned, seeing the sun rise and fall for the first time, there is, and we'll get to Epona in just a little bit, because they actually call that kind of the turning point in the creative process, but the first time you when you jump Epona over the fence and yeah. ride off with her, um, I remember for some reason, it always sticks with me. The fir- I mean, the first moment you enter every dungeon, but yeah. the first moment you enter specifically Adult Link in the Fire Dungeon, I forget the exact name of that dungeon, and they just, there was this sweeping panning shot overview of what this dungeon was gonna be and they did it with every dungeon and they always nailed it you get this feeling of like oh my god I'm getting tingles just saying just talking about it right now like oh my god this 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 thing is huge and I'm gonna go explore it and it's gonna be this amazing adventure and they really did such a good job of like propelling that um all the way through uh shooting the sun with a bow and arrow (laughs) to get the fire arrows is, is still cool to me yeah. Like when I do it, when I did it on 3DS not too long ago, um, there's so many damn memories, dude. Like the um, the the ghosts in the in the forest dungeon with, in, with Adult Link. Um, you have to go find uh, fuck. I mean, the first time you use a hook shot, um, the motherfucker water dungeon and, or mm. water temple, and we will of course talk about that fucking a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, this yeah, that's a thing is because oh, oh, and becoming Adult Link. The so, first time you remove the master sword. This adult link is like an important thing because it was uh the way that combat worked and the way that like the adventure worked and the way that like like we talked about how in the earlier Zelda games, like the point was that Link was a child and it's supposed to be like, You're a child, I'm like Ze- Link's a child, like we're gonna go on a childlike exploration, but if there's one thing we've nailed down with all of these nostalgia episodes is that kids don't want to be kids, they wanna be cool, violent adults. <laughs> It's very true. And Link, Adult Link, even with his like weird white tights, 
but like the sound that the sword makes when it like hits something and like the way that he would like do cool backflips and like flying slashes it was amazing mm-hmm. to do that kind of combat in a game well also you got to remember too that it had been 7 years since link to the past and they actually purposely made it seven years from Child Link to Adult Link so that you could feel that change. Miyamoto said it was perfect. It was the exact same amount of time. So we kind of all were grown a little bit older ourselves. You know, the people who who had an SNES and played Link to the Past, we, we got to feel that in, in the game. It was so brilliant. Well, it's actually... Wait, that was Miyamoto that said that? I think so, from my, from my thing. You because know. Uh, I looked up a... Uh, it's... <laughs> There's a website called, uh, like, Glitterberry. <laughs> sure. Uh, but they have old uh, interviews with, like, Nintendo what's, developers. What's the most embarrassing name of a website you've looked at, Jake? <laughs> um, well, it's nightmarishly pornographic, and I don't feel at liberty to share it. No, no, no. Glitterberry is spelled with an I. Oh. Yeah. Um, but uh, according to uh, Aonuma and... Uh, Oh, <laughs> uh, God, I keep, I have to get all my Japanese names it's, right. Dude, it is, it's Koizumi, Aonoma and Koizumi. Um, they were original. they only wanted Adult Link in the game. Like, the original tech demo was only Adult Link. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the emphasis on combat kind of necessitated uh, Adult Link. It was only Miyamoto that kind of like, this is like a total Miyamoto move, is he just kind of sauntered up with his big smiley face and was like, Oh, but like Link's supposed to be cute. You should have like a cute younger Link in there. And then he just walks away, and this entire staff has to be like, uh, fuck, I guess we have a time travel mechanic now? Miyamoto fuck. needs a fucking. Li- yeah, exactly. Literally two years into development, Miyamoto just wandered in and added young Link to the game. It like came, that. Yeah, it did, I definitely knew that, that it came from a debate between different parties, one wanting a child Link and one wanting an adult Link, in order to solve the debate instead of just, and just compromising like a bunch of goddamn adults. Mm-hmm. They said, let's put it both in. I guess that is a compromise i don't know what compromise is but it but it but adult link has so much more like power because of that moment where you lift the sword the master sword and you're bathed in light and all of a sudden you're just like oh shit i'm a grown-up now hey uh raru the sage what did you do with my body for seven years you clearly gave me pants why did you have an unconscious boy in your sacred realm this i just whole feel time? like you ask different questions when you're playing a video game than the questions i ask which is pretty much um am i high yes or no and if if the answer is no i start to get high i think those are the only two that's the only question um but yeah, you keep mentioning the combat, so I do want to throw this mm. out there, that Miyamoto wanted it to exist within the Chanbara genre, or uh, as they call it, the samurai cinema, mm. as we know it in English, you know, Seven Samurai, those types, types of things, the Shogun style. Um, in, in regards to the sword fighting um, within the game, and uh, there was a dev crew of more than, uh, this is later on, by the way, they started with a very small group of people, as we discussed mm. in the last episode, that's how they always start their projects over Nintendo, very small, and then they broaden it, but uh, there was a dev crew of more than 120 people, including stunt performers, that were involved in the creating of the sword fighting uh, effort uh, mm. effects, and and it's, it's really fascinating, they also... Um, uh, Miyamoto also, you, you mentioned the child link issue. He wanted it to be the whole thing to be in first person. For oh, a while. yeah. And that was like a whole thing. So that game would have been drastically different. And but I think there it was-, was a lot of first, like uh, shooting arrows yes. is first person. Uh, right, uh, the, the slingshot, the hook shot mm-hmm. are, is all first person. When you're riding the horse and hunting pose, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of puzzles have to be solved by switching to the first person perspective. And looking around to find that stupid eyeball so you can open the door. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, uh, that he kind of threw a lot of things at his team, and, and there was a lot of sort of debate always going back and forth on that sort of stuff. Um, oh, do you know they went to an actual amusement park to learn what, like, how Chanbara combat works? Mm-hmm. Uh, Koizumi, uh, again, uh, whose contributions to what we consider the Legend of Zelda, like, is is insane, like, having done all the research for this, Uh he invented Z-targeting. Yes, I was just about to bring that up. Uh, the park because... you were talking about is Toei Kyoto Studio Park. <laughs> um, and and they, were trying, they were trying to come up with a better way to hit opponents than they did in Mario 64. And uh, they saw a sword fighting show at the park. And for him, it all clicked in. He said, I thought there must be some kind of trick, so I watched very closely, and it was simple, he said. It's a sword battle, so there's a script and a certain setup. The enemies don't all attack at once. First, one attacks while the others wait. When the first guy goes down, the next one steps in and so on. This helped him figure out how to make Z-targeting work with multiple enemies. He said, watching that show at the studio park was a clue toward solving the problem. Z-targeting flags one particular opponent, telling the other enemies to wait. It's, I mean, this was a revolution in game design. That is in, like, every game now. It was... <laughs> no, it's it's like the light bulb. You know, like, one of the biggest problems, especially in, like, early PlayStation uh, 3D games, is aiming was a fucking bitch. You, like, you, you know, tank con- think tank controls in Resident Evil. Like, that wasn't a conscious, like, choice. It's just aiming in... 3D with digital controls was impossible. (laughs) Uh, And in the old Legend of Zelda games, you had an overhead perspective, so you can see everything going on and you can manage crowds. And uh, the Z-targeting system, by by getting rid of the full 3D movement and creating a new axis based between your target and you, you got to like it got to simplify navigation and your relation to the enemy in a way that like was way more manageable. In addition to all the cool animations that Koizuma did, Koizumi. Koizumi, it's fine. You're hopping, you're flipping, you're jumping, you're blocking. It is super intense. And literally every game from... uh, (laughs) Yeah! Hey! Dark Souls. There would not be Dark Souls without the advancements in 3D navigation and combat. Yeah, those motherfuckers don't wait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they do not wait, though. That is the difference. They all just attack you immediately and kill you so fast. Well, the combat in, like, even though I'm singing its praises, yes, the combat now in Ocarina of Time is a lot of, like, oh, you're blocking? All right, I guess I'll just kind of hop around you for a little bit. Right. Or, like, the Skulltulas. The mm. Skulltulas were these big armored skull spider enemies that literally you had to, you couldn't do anything. You just had to stand there like a nimrod and wait for them to turn around for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's definitely in hindsight, you know, or, or after you know, the uh, games evolving to the point that they've gotten to. Of course, it's it's uh, looks a little. Um, sort of basic but man was it a revelation at the time I mean nothing out there kind of had yeah. had anything going for it like that so it was sort of a combination of this incredible world building mm-hmm. uh, really solid 3D uh, puzzles like really cool uh, dungeon except the water dungeon yeah except for the water dungeon which they did later of course smooth out a little bit uh, and and I will say I played it in Ocarina of Time if, if people don't know I don't I, you probably know but uh, the wa- water temple in Ocarina of Time is sort of renowned as like so shitty hard um, and it's really funny too because uh, Anumi 
still claims that it, Aonuma? it's Aonuma. Koizumi Aonuma. Koizumi Aonuma. He, he said he continues to insist, uh, Anuma continues to insist that the temple isn't hard, just inconvenient because you had to keep putting on and taking off the boots. Mm-hmm. That's not true because you're, there's <laughs> like eight layers here. You're, you're putting the water level up and down and you're putting the boots on and taking them off, which, yes, is tedious. <laughs> and you're dealing with swimming and also trying to remember what level the water level was at when you turned it last, which you can only do in certain parts. And then you got to go through the rest of the thing. And if you don't do it right, you got to come back through the thing. And then sometimes, when the water level's a certain way, you can't go through a passage because you got to. Hold like- it, you're bleeding. You're bleeding. Please, please <laughs> I'm stop. I'm just saying, it's not the boots. <laughs> this is the closest to tears I've ever seen you come. <laughs> but they and did. Then, <laughs> there was the, the water temple, and Good. then it got you high. I like, I had. I'm put- so sorry. Super producer Marcus Parks. Fellow child of the '90s, uh, what was your favorite part of uh, Ocarina of Time when you when you in, in your memory, not as you through the rosiest of glasses? Oh no, I mean it, it's a lot of the same as you guys. Like uh, I remember the first time that it became night, I thought it was the coolest fucking thing. Oh, that's when I noticed bones started. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what are we gonna do? Like this big expansive field is just kind of empty. Like eh, we'll just fill it with bones and ghosts. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then becoming adult Link was awesome because I remember I hated having to go back to Kid Link. Mm. I didn't ever want to go back to being Kid Link right. because I wanted to be Adult Link. I, <laughs> what year did that game come out? 97? Mm. 96? 96. Mm. Uh, Majora's Mask was like late 96, Majora's Mask early 98. Okay, yeah, so I was 13 so I was very much looking forward to being a larger man. Yes. Yeah, and I was a very small, small boy at 13 getting the shit beat out of me constantly. So Legend of Zelda was a really cool little power fantasy for me. It's very, like, and uh, I was actually, personally, I was I was ripped. Ripped? Jacked? Jacked. So I was already like, <laughs> I'm over it. I'd actually rather be Kid Link because I'm just so ripped right now. We'll get and I'm into- having so much sex right now. We'll actually we'll get into this psychology when we get into the big Wind Waker Twilight Princess debate. Uh, but that attitude was mm, like very mm. important for the direction of the Legend of Zelda series. Mm. Uh, another huge aspect of this game, besides the graphics, besides the mechanics, uh, was the music. Our boy Koji Kondo's back in action. Koji Kondo back at it again. If you ain't his enemy, you must be his friend. Uh, the <laughs> ocarina mechanic was honestly, like, I loved it. I, it yes. was such a versatile thing to be able to play songs and dick around on it at the same time and uh, learn songs and uh, th- such memorable melodies. So uh, a special segment, we're going to play uh, Marcus Holden. We're going to play Name That Ocarina Tune. Mm. So we're going to start off with an easy one. You're, uh, you're going to hum it? No, 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 no. I'm going to ask you to hum it. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Holden. Yeah. I'm going to need you to do Epona's song. Oh, fucking I don't. Jake, you should have told me before. I would have practiced. No. Yeah, how does it go again? I kind of remember the Ferris wheel one. Yeah, I remember that. That is the Song of Storms, so I guess we're not doing that one. Song of Storms, yeah. Do you guys remember the... Oh, okay, it's Zelda's Lullaby. Bum, bum, da, 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 da,
Lullaby. Just, uh, uh, Marcus, just play uh, Zelda's Lullaby. There we go. My favorite thing about Zelda's Lullaby is that it's the tune itself forms the Triforce because you have to use the three triangle buttons, mm-hmm. and there's like a left, up, and right one. Yes. And that's just like a clever fucking detail. Totally. That in a million years, like... And the and the ocarina the but the the little holes on the actual ocarina in the game mimicked the uh, positioning of the buttons on the controller. Yeah, so that's another cool fucking fact for, um, for the listeners. Uh, I'm got angry. Do you guys remember Bolero of Fire? Um, yeah, I think it's um. No, no, no. Okay. I'm Ganon. I'm Ganon, and I'm shitting. <laughs> Was that how it was? No, no, no. I remember. It was- Pump up the jam. Pump Pump it it up. All right, segment over. (laughs) The point is the music kicked ass in this game. Goob is in the Fucking CNC music. (laughs) I'm so terrible at it. Um, There's so many memorable tunes in this mm -hmm, game. Uh, Absolutely. My favorite was... the uh, Gerudo Valley theme with that fucking spicy Latin rhythm. Fuck yeah, man. Hold on, Marcus. Yes. Get you going. Ah, Ganondorf, my love. <laughs> you are the only male child of our race. Um, But I will say the stealth sequence that takes place when you're hearing this can sort of kind of go fuck itself. Yeah, oh, it can oh. go fuck itself. It can drive you absolutely what? insane. You don't like shooting arrows at bees to attack women? <laughs> That's my whole jam. <laughs> now, uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad you... you, you uh, I am very glad you went into this because Kondo actually created with these things. He wanted to create themes for areas in the game, um, which is uh, what they call a bit of reverse leitmotif. Leitmotif is when uh, an entrance of a character has its own theme, like Peter and the Wolf or something like mm. that. Well, he sort of did the reverse version. As you approached an area, you would slowly start to hear the sounds of that area, and it would sort of let you recognize. So each area would be recognized with a different song. Yeah, and he did that with great effect in The Lost Woods, where you yes. could go in different uh, areas. You could go and look, and the uh, the music would get louder depending mm. on where you needed to go. So smart. Oh, man, The Lost Woods is such a cool little Which, again, area. like was just another idea. It's like, oh, now that we're in 3D, you can like hear things from one direction. Like it's it's this game was such a collaboration of just different ideas and trying to just throw things at the wall. Like we like, just mentioned a stealth section, you know. I mean, it was oh, like they yeah. were literally do- the they- same year Metal Gear came out. <laughs> <laughs> they had a stealth section where you're just like walking through a hedge maze, <laughs> and it's like one of the things that kind of sucks, like arguably about the game. But that said, good on them for trying, yeah. and and just the fact that they were like, how about every genre exists in this game in some form or fashion? At some point, you will you will have that. And I mean, and then the most epic, awesome ba- boss battles ever, yeah. ever. I mean, mm. just so good. I mean, and again, when I talked about entering a dungeon for the first time, entering a boss room for the first time and that cut scene that you would see of the boss sort of entering, and it was always, like, way bigger than you could possibly fathom. This is before Shadow of the Colossus, mm-hmm. and it was the first time I really got the effect that was similar to playing that game, which was just this awe-inspired feeling of, like, oh, my God, this thing, this monster is huge this is like it was like unbelievable at the time you know it, it just 
the scale of things in uh, this I game. wonder if I have to shoot the spider in the eyeball. Oh, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have those awesome subtitles to them. Like, oh. like Queen Goma, Parasitic Armored Arachnid. Yes. yes. Wait, oh. do you have a list of them? Can you just go through them? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. There's King Dodongo. Mm. Oh, with the uh, does it, the list doesn't have all of the uh, all the subtitles? Cool subtitles. Yeah. Oh, okay, but yeah, King Dodongo, Big Octo, Baronade, mm. Phantom Ganon, Volvagia. Oh, that yeah, Volvagia. Which, which one was the bongo playing monster? <laughs> oh, that was awesome. oh, those big dumb hands. Yeah, that was sick. Yeah, that the, was so cool. I think that was uh, that was Bongo Bongo. Bongo Bongo. <laughs> they can't all be winners. They can't all. <laughs> Mythical jazz beast Bongo Bongo. I'll let my I'll let my nephew uh, r- uh, be the name uh, name name master for this monster. Billy, what would you like? Billy son, mm-hmm. what would you like? Uh, play drum. <laughs> bongo Bongo. All right. Well, maybe we'll think like Crimtor or Flid Dragon or something cool. Does it play the drums? Bongo Bongo! <laughs> and I did find a list with all of them. That's Phantom Shadow Beast Bongo Bongo. <laughs> ah. yeah. Infernal Dinosaur King Dodongo. Bioelectric Anemone Baronade. Yeah, oh, that was a fight. That was the hookshot one. Yeah. Evil Spirit from Beyond. Phantom Ganon. Mm. Subterranean Lava Dragon. Volvagia. Giant Aquatic Amoeba. Morpha. Phantom Shadow Beast. Bongo Bongo. <laughs> Sorceress Sisters. Twin Rova. <laughs> this is the and worst SNL cast. You're reading like <laughs> Great King of Evil, Ganondorf. <laughs> Musical guest, Ganon. <laughs> um, a couple more things. Uh, I, I do want to come back to Epona. Uh, it's we... weird that the bad guys are hook-nosed Arabs, right? That's bad. <laughs> We should, we should just, I'm just going to say that. It's weird and bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, you know, the times They come different. from the evil land, far away, and look different. They have evil eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and they are from the desert. <laughs> well, that's all thanks to, of course, Donald Trumpy-san, who uh, was, was one of the devs. Just, just 1990s Donald Trump just kicking his way in. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Koizumi said that the, uh, had the, it was, again, Koizumi big player in all of this stuff. Uh, he had the idea for Epona the horse, and Miyamoto said that the horse was a turning point. Uh, Miyamoto says, the moment that we saw you could ride around on a horse in 3D, explains Miyamoto, we instantly realized that we needed a giant field that people could ride through. Uh, by the way, Epona uh, is the goddess of horses and fertility in Celtic mythology. The Irish so, fuck horses, you heard it first. The Irish fuck horse. <laughs> Um, Kozumi said, when you name something, it increases your affection for it. So I worked hard to make her a good horse. Mm, It's a very good horse. But, uh, like, at one point, uh, because, again, biggest cartridge size Mm -hmm. for the Nintendo. They didn't even know if this game could fit in a cartridge. At one point... uh, uh, Miyamoto, as kind of a failsafe, was just going to have it be that like Ganondor- Ganondorf's castle was a hub, and you went to different worlds from it, just like in 60, uh, Mario 64. And going back to the capacity, because I punched the numbers here, and I'm proud of myself for doing so, <laughs> so I am going to throw some numbers at you so guys. So many calculators destroyed. It was uh, it was roughly uh, 32 megabytes, mm-hmm. and for reference, uh, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is 37.5 gigabytes, mm-hmm. which is uh, equals uh, around 1,172 Ocarina of Time. <laughs> but at the time, that was the g- most giant thing they could fit on, on a single cartridge. Uh, kind of nuts when you think about it. That wasn't that long ago. 
Um, yeah, Geralt's fuck scenes alone have to be like a few hundred megabytes. At just, least. Just the mesh. Just like the 3D mesh for the unicorn that Geralt fucks on <laughs> is 32 megabytes. Um, like there's a mole on the Bloody Baron's like lip that is 32 megabytes. There was an odd inspiration from Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Miyamoto says, while making it, I noticed that I didn't want to tell a story so much as I wanted to have a lot of people appear around the main character and portray their relationships. Some years back, a television show called Twin Peaks was popular. When I saw that, the most interesting thing wasn't the ins and outs of the story, but what kinds of characters appeared. So that's why, of course, you have a log lady inside of the um, as a hidden room, and that's why that I mean the 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 whispering midget later turned into the character Saria, <laughs> the cute forest elf that like later admits she's in love with you, and it's like kind of creepy because like you're a grown ass man at that point. And all those dream sequences with the little people—that was a weird part of Ocarina of Time. They uh, just threw everything in there. No, uh. Koizumi uh, has uh, a lot of responsibility for the individual villagers and like the off-kilter dialogue in there and those characters are kind of uh, another part of experiencing this 3D world is like wandering around and meeting people and seeing how they've changed over the yes. course of the time jump uh, and it's they did a really brilliant thing where in Link to the Past all of the uh, pr- you know the maidens that you save are just kind of like random girl sprites they threw together Whereas the seven sages are characters that you've interacted with, people that you want to save. And uh, I do remember feeling an emotional connection to them because of that at the end sequence when they're all together. And, you know, uh, yeah, it was really a kind of a cool moment. Uh, that fish girl turned into like a hot fish lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that hot fish lady was confusing to me. <laughs> And uh, speaking of weird sexual things in Zelda, uh, the great fairy that jumps out of the fountain half naked. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so scared. And yet also there's some vaguely polygonal lady flesh in front of me. pointiest of breasts. (laughs) Uh, You know, the the whole world was... One of the things I love about the world of the game are the little details that are in every every inch of that game, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, of course, now we have games that have a lot of detail in them, but at the time, there were some really novel things going on. One story that really highlights this uh, that I caught really kind of made me nod my head and go, mm, wonderful, uh, <laughs> while I was doing my research. And uh, that was that um, So Miyamoto wanted to be able to cut the signs up in different directions and have pieces fly off, which they did, which was a really cool mm-hmm. novel little thing. Um, but there was a sign near the water. It was probably the one by the lake. And uh, a, a, a piece flew off and went into the water, uh, and it just kind of, like, just fell to the ground like it would have mm-hmm. on the ground. So actually, instead of uh, moving the sign, the programmer Marita made it so that if you cut the sign and it hit the water, it would float. <laughs> that's like, like an, that's so many systems in place. That's in- insane. Like just just this little detail. Like instead of moving it. Um, they 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 made it so that yeah it was just such a cool you know and there's all those little kind of things going on within the game that really just uh, are so impressive. Now here's the thing though we're talking about the world and the characters and like the scope and all of that but like the individual dungeons like I, I don't have like fond memories of pushing blocks or like standing on a switch or like lighting the little fires or being in an empty room and like looking around for the one eyeball. Although, 
Although getting to write your own song for the Scarecrow is like pretty cool. That's cool. That, that was pretty cool. Um, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> that was my song. A A A A A. The Ballad of Marcus. <laughs> um, I like the Mirror Shield is actually pretty fun. That was really cool. The Mirror Shield part was cool. I mean, hookshot stuff. Um, Mirror cool. Shield uh, controversy had like an Islamic crescent on it in early versions of the yeah. game. They had to get rid- also, uh, Koji Kanto used samples of an actual Islamic prayer. Yes. In, uh, in that, uh, was it Spirit Temple or Fire Temple? Fire Temple. Fire Temple. Fire, yeah. And they had to get rid of that uh, because, when you know it, a little touchy about their prayers. <laughs> Yeah, well, also, uh, Nintendo of America's policy is no religion in games, which we did uh, talk about that a little bit, because they did also have to make certain alterations for Link to the Past, uh, which you'll hear in our last episode, unless you skip straight to this episode. And if you did that, it's weird. You should listen to the first Zelda episode. So the (laughs) response to Ocarina of Time was massive. It, you know, perfect tens across the board. It was, this is considered a seminal year for video games with... Uh, Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation and Ocarina of Time on the N64 kind of proving like just how grand uh, 3D games can be that like you know it was kind of this break off point where 3D stopped being a new novelty and being what games were from that point on and uh, honestly yeah, Ro- Rockstar Games Dan Hauser said anyone who makes 3D games who says they've not borrowed something from Mario or Zelda 60 or Zelda Ocarina of Time is lying yeah um, and honestly, this is this is like a weird personal thing, but I'm just gonna say it and hope that like anybody in our audience confirms. Uh, PlayStation was kicking N64's ass, and like you kind of felt like a lame wad for owning one. <laughs> like while all the kids are like playing uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII or like and getting- drug user '92. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got Mario Kart. We got Twisted Metal. <laughs> Fucking murder clown. <laughs> this is a black guy with wheels on his arms. This um, game's just called 42069. <laughs> I don't even know what it does. It just plays music. It shows you what drugs are. But getting, like, (laughs) Ocarina of Time, like, validated your bizarre, that weird, like, personal stake you have in your game console. It's, like, the reason why people are still arguing about, like, whether the Xbox 360 was better than PlayStation 3. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it's it's a weird identifier when you don't have a lot to write on when you're a kid. (laughs) So, like... Uh, Ocarina of Time was genuinely a validating experience. Yeah. I, I just wanted to get that out. I definitely. I, I I was a PlayStation kid, but I sure as fuck rented an N64 in order to play through Ocarina of Time. Uh, got the whole that big suitcase and stuff. Man, remember doing that? Remember renting yeah. consoles from Blockbuster? Uh, so there was also uh, Aura Zelda, which was made again for the 64DD, which translates to another Zelda. That was made into an expansion disc. Um, the Master Quest? It never happened, yeah, because of the failure. So it was later released as the Master Quest, and you can actually play that. It just rearranges the puzzles in all the dungeons, makes them way harder. Um, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm excited to play it, actually. Um, it's it's going to be so weird to play a different Ocarina game. Um, so I'm really excited to get that out. And then also another game that was developed for the 64DD was a little game called Zelda Gaiden, which stands for Zelda Side Story. Uh, it would play. It would appear as a playable demo at the Nintendo Space World exhibition on August 27th, 1999. And if you look back at screenshots, it's pretty obvious that was a game that would end up becoming called Majora's Mask. Now, Majora's Mask is kind of this dark horse uh, more so than Zelda 2 it's weird it's weird but like it's dark but it it it's good it's, it's good 
Um, this is so famously the story is that uh, Miyamoto uh, just kind of like tapped Aonuma on the shoulder and it's like, hey, we want to do like we've spent all this time making this engine and all these assets for Ocarina of Time. We got to make another game with it. Like it's just common economic sense. Uh, so you know, just take some of the dungeons, remix it around. It's it's like the Master Quest, basically. Or, yeah, or a Zelda, which uh, would be that. Uh, yeah. And uh, Aonuma was kind of like upset. He was like, "This is I don't want to do that. It does. It's cheap. It's bad. Like I want to make more dungeons with all these tools that we had." Because that's Aonuma's like thing. He was the dungeon guy, the puzzle guy. Um, and so, uh, you know, Miyamoto's the big boss guy. You don't really say no to him, but he worked up the courage and said like hey look at all this sh- like i've designed new dungeons i think we can do this he was making them in secret yeah. while they were working on ura zelda he was going home at night and like developing brand new dungeons using the same engine in secret and yeah. then came to uh 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 to them and said you know uh look what i've done these hands and miyamoto was like cool uh tell you what I'm going to take more of a hands-off approach. You, I believe in you, my boy, my cool dude. Uh, you have one year, which is fucking insane. It took them, again, it took, I think, four years for <laughs> Ocarina, four to five years to make Ocarina, and he said, you got one year, and you can make, mm-hmm. if you can make your game in a year, you can do whatever you want to do. So so the two main players, Aonuma and Koizumi, again, were the two people who really sort of made it happen. Um now, Koizumi had the uh, time jumping mechanic left yes. over from the game that he was working on, which involved stopping a robbery using advanced knowledge of the future and like, you know, what we associate with the main Majora's Mask uh, component where you t- travel through time to be in the right place at the right time to solve puzzles. And uh, they immediately incorporated that into the game. So you got Koizumi over there in his corner making, working with the time travel mechanic and specifically that main town hub and all mm-hmm. the different things going on there. Whereas uh, Anuma was working on the dungeons and the overworld that you went to uh, outside of that town. And so let's, with let's put it this way. Anuma came up with the fun idea of using the Goron powers to like roll around in a rink in kind of a chariot race with a boss and... Uh, Koizumi's idea was that uh, the Goron was the ghost of a dead friend that had to finally accept that he had passed on in order to save his people. Well, now, there's an interesting little story that I I heard, um, and that's that Aonuma and Koizumi both went to a colleague's wedding in South Korea, and it was during the time that North Korea was bombing the fuck out of them. And so they just found it to be really bizarre, these people all celebrating while there's all this tragic death and despair happening around them. And they were so inspired by that that they came back and they added that to the game in a huge way of say, let's, okay, end of the world scenario. Everyone knows that the end of the world is happening. How do they confront that? How do they deal with that? And um, maybe they do celebrate. Maybe they, in the face of it, maybe they do thrive. And I think that's a lot of the inspiration for why this game is so dark and weird. Um, it's There was a push and pull because uh, like all Zelda games, they have like a fun sense of humor. But uh, it's in interviews on Glitterberry. <laughs> Um, Aonuma talked about how a lot of the more darker aspects was kind of being introduced by Koizumi. And Koizumi said, like, I was a 30-something at the time. And I was, like, you know, a, you know, I was, like, coming to terms with adulthood and, like, look, looking back on all the lessons in my life. And I wanted to, to you know, just what do I really want to say in a game? And so there is a lot of deep shit. There is uh, the stages of, of basically the five stages of coming to terms with death. 
you know, all the everything from denial to bargaining to anger to depression. I got the order wrong. Um, <laughs> a lot of like very adult. Uh, okay, specific. Mm. So there's a skull kid, right? <laughs> it's it's almost it's uh it's almost too much to there's some fucked up shit in this game. A skull kid has stolen Majora's mask and causes the moon to crash into Termina in three days' time. Link must travel back in time over and over again to stop this, which is kind of a certain sort of sci-fi nightmare in and mm-hmm. of itself. Um man, it's just such a Bizarre. Zelda is not even in the game, nope. right? So it's literally a game called Zelda Majora's Mask, and Princess Zelda is not even in it. In the canon, it's you know at the end of Ocarina of Time, Zelda says like, "No, you got to go back and have a real childhood." Link, and the game starts with just like Link on Epona, just kind of like going through the woods, just like trying to find new purpose in life, and then the Skull Kid maybe kills him. Whatever. Maybe Termina is limbo. Maybe Termina is short for terminal, as in the end. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Um. And uh, the uh, mechanic of the uh, of the masks having power and transforming people is introduced by the happy mask salesman, who uh, many people believe is like kind of a dig at Miyamoto because he's always like very, he's always like smiling and cheerful and asking you to do impossible things. Uh, <laughs> and he awesome. also has horrific mood swings. Whatever, yeah. maybe maybe they're Either making way. fun of their boss. Um, <laughs> maybe if you look at a picture of smiling. Uh, Miyamoto and then look at a picture of the happy mask salesman you're like oh yeah shit they're making fun of Miyamoto <laughs> um, but uh, as the days go on like people are like oh that's weird the moon's looking weird and then as day three happens like people are getting depressed and like trying to figure out what the fuck they're gonna do and um, Link kind of uh, because Link was always a cypher character you have to physically embody these other characters lives: the Zora the Deku uh, the the uh, the Blah, blah. Goron, Goron, thank you. Uh, and all the all these all those masks are from existing characters in this world with relations and duties, and like it allows a like a wider breadth of storytelling than just like mute boy. Yeah. Um, among the fucked up shit uh, is the fact that on the third day at Romani Ranch, which is this like f- new Lon Lon Ranch where they just took the uh, Malon sprites. I mean, the Malon models and just made them sisters. Yeah, which, by the way, I don't even know if we necessarily mentioned this, but, of course, they reused the same engine and a lot of the same assets from Ocarina of Time in order to make this happen within a year. Yeah, a lot of the characters are different characters in Ocarina of Time, but it's basically the same model. Uh, uh, I just, I remember terrified the implications that, like, Kremia and was like, okay, well, I guess tonight's the night I'm going to let my little sister drink herself into a stupor (laughs) so she doesn't die, like, in pain. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The uh, it's the official night she gets to drink. She gets to drink Chateau Romani special milk. That the special milk that's only for adults. But tonight Romani gets to drink it for some reason. <laughs> um, there's there's a cafe in Anjou, which is like these jilted lovers or not jilted. I'm sorry. These torn lovers because cafe was cursed to become a like a tiny boy by the skull kid and he's too embarrassed and ashamed of his body to confront his uh, fiance and link has to like kind of like get them back together so that they can finally say that through thick and thin they always want to be together as they die and then there's just the giant horrifying smiling moon i'd say it's more of a grimace but uh, it will haunt your nightmares yeah it's like really legitimately scary i mean it's the only you know, there there's some uh, arguably frightening moments mm-hmm. in Ocarina of Time and, and other, you know, especially with like the- Like uh, you said, with the Arab man. Yeah, and the, and the, um, 
the the truth mirror in that in the spooky temple mm-hmm. in the graveyard, uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, Majora's Mask really took it to a whole nother level and really didn't even necessarily feel like a Zelda game in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's one of the most interesting ones in the series and um, a, just a really fascinating game uh, to play and and to kind of look back at in the series. Um, also, I don't want to I don't want to like discourage anyone from playing it, but the uh, don't worry. Uh, the day is saved when Link summons a bunch of colossal weird naked men from the ground. Can you look up Majora's Mask like Titan Giant song? Because it's like really haunting in my brain. Uh, the game also was uh, has a lot of creepy music. Was beautiful. It. it required the N64 expansion, dra- yes. uh, RAM expansion, which is oh, kind yeah. of a drag. Yeah. The four in megabyte. Yeah. Expansion pack. Yeah, and that's actually why I can't play Majora's Mask on my uh, N64 because I've got the collector's edition of Majora's Mask that I've had since I was a kid, mm. but I don't have the same N64 that I've had since I was a kid. Damn. So I can't play Majora's Mask without buying. Guys, the if there's pack. one thing you need to learn from this podcast, it's always steal and emulate. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also I would recommend playing Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask uh, on 3DS. It's fantastic versions of both of those games, mm-hmm. and you get the Master Quest. On Ocarina of Time, really, really good way to play those games. Um, so uh, we've got this song here, and I think um, I feel like we've kind of covered it, right, Jake? Uh, yeah, these are the uh, this was uh, this was the Zelda series jump into 3D, and it was kind of a rousing success. It changed the course of gaming as we know it. Uh, but there's still there's still more to this tale. There is more to this tale. The legend continued after this. Yeah. And uh, next week, I guess we're going to get into uh, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword and, you know, maybe the DS titles. I liked them. Fuck yeah. Are you going to get in a freshly picked Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land? <laughs> we're not going to. Oh, yeah. Tingle was <laughs> we'll in Majora's Mask. We'll be talking Mask. about Tingle. <laughs> we, we forgot about Tingle in Majora's Mask. That's true. He comes cr- back later, though. It's just a, a horrifying nightmare version of what the staff thought of adult Nintendo fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll let Marcus take us out with this creepy-ass song, uh, Hold Nader's Ho on Twitch. Um, and, I don't know, listen to the Roundtable of Gentlemen if you don't already. It's a great, it's one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung. Uh, go to dorkly.com where I do stuff there. Uh, I have a scathing cool article about a real sexy sweater. <laughs> it's doing great traffic-wise. People want to click on the fuck sweater article. <laughs> Thank you, and good day to you all. Oh, so creepy. So I didn't make it this far. There's gigantic naked guys dancing while this is going on. They emerge from the earth. They, they're the ones that physically hold up the moon. Ah. They were being held back by the power of the mass. You know, if you're interested, there's a version on YouTube that's 10 hours long. Cool. <laughs> yeah. What isn't there a 10-hour version of one? <laughs> For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.